So we launched in a brand new sermon series called Winning at Life, and um, and so I, you know I, you know there's a whole lot of football going on um, this weekend, and actually tomorrow, um, and because uh, I think the national championships will be playing tomorrow night, and uh, and of course there the playoffs are going to be starting, and I thought you know it would be kind of fun to just kind of do a sermon series about winning in life and kind of tie in some of the sports um, imagery, and because the Apostle Paul is really clear about that, and we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes, and and um, uh, highlight some of the scriptures that we find, and so wait, here's the interesting thing: I know that some of you, all, so I love sports. I just you know since. Since I was five years old, I've always played something and always been participated in something. So my, I remember when my father was um, my father was a big basketball player, and um, and so he taught me begin to play basketball at the age of about five. I remember, and we had a little basketball goal behind Conway United Methodist Church, and we'd go back there and we'd shoot. And so my dad would hold me up, and I'd shoot. And and so you know, it was just a great memory. So I've always been really watching sports, playing sports. But here's the reality: is I know that some of you probably hate sports, and I know that you could care less about football. Matter of fact, you might hate football. You think, God, this is going to be awful. No, it's actually not. I promise you. Because there are simple, there are some simple principles that we can find, even this actually we find in the imagery of sports that actually carry over in life. I remember my grandfather, bless his heart, um, Dr. G.R. Tomlin, you know, uh, my grandfather was very uh, devout in his life and his spiritual journey. And um, and so his whole life revolved about preaching. You know, he preached for like 60 years. And so I remember as a nine-year-old, we were watching a football game one day. My dad, my grandfather was watching. And he had no clue what was going on. Can you imagine a nine-year-old trying to explain to a seven-year-old what was going on in the football field? No idea. And so I get it. I understand that. But I think there's something that maybe we can learn each day, each of these next five weeks, something about life that connects with not only the sporting imagery, but it connects with our everyday life and one in life. So I want to share with you all, there's three key kind of principles that we're going to focus on today. And it has to do with working hard. It has to do with self-discipline. And it has to do with sacrifice. Let me say that again. So there are three little simple principles. If you're going to be successful in the sports world, but also successful in life, there are some basic principles that we can all apply in life that have to do with working hard to be successful, the idea of having some self-discipline in life to be successful, and the idea that making some sacrifices in life in order to be successful. So I want to begin, um, I'm going to read something for the Apostle Paul a little bit later, but I want to begin with what Jesus talks about, because this is the third part of my little message about being, actually making sacrifices. And so this is what Jesus is, his definition of what sacrifice means. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone wants to become one of my fathers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what would it profit them if they gained the whole world, but they forfeit their life? Or what would they give in return for their life? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So um, a few years ago, um, my friend Don Bucky, I don't think they're here today, him and Elaine, but um, Don played at um, North uh, NC State, um, and uh, his coach at the time was um, actually a guy named Lou Holtz. Matter of fact, I got a picture of me and Lou Holtz and uh, Coach Pettis, who was the football coach at uh, the Villages, and the, the man on the left is Jason, who was a principal at the time. And so Lou Holtz is actually a legendary football coach. He's one considered one of the greatest football coaches ever. And um, so he came here and spoke to us because um, he was Don Bucky's coach when he played at NC State. And then Don Bucky went on and actually had um, played one year for the New York Jets back when um, Joe Namath. Have you heard Joe Namath? He was playing at the time. 
And so, um, so evidently, uh, Bucky was able to kind of pull some strings, and he got um, Lou Holtz to be able to come and speak. And so he was an amazing speaker. So this last week, just for the fun of it, knowing that I was going to be doing this theme, I thought, you know what, let me see if I can find a kind of a video clip that kind of was one of Lou Holtz talking to maybe somebody. And so, you know, he's got this kind of whimsical wisdom about him. And so I found this little video clip. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's kind of fun. And he was talking to uh, the football team at the University of Texas on this particular day. So take a listen. You didn't know that Lou Holtz was quite the magician, did you? That was pretty cool, wasn't it? And that was a great way of teaching these young kids. You know, here he is like 80 and the kids in the room were all like 19 or 20. And he's just talking about this kind of simple life about don't letting people tear you down. Don't let, you know, being criticized and so forth. And I thought that was actually a very good clip. So I went back and found a couple of great, a few great uh, Lou Holtz quotes. I, I call them like Holtzisms, all right? So he says, I think that everyone needs four things in life. Everybody needs something to do regardless of the age. Everyone needs someone to love. Everyone needs something to hope for. And of course, everyone needs someone to believe in. He goes on and says, hey, don't tell your problems to people. 80% don't care. And the other 20% glad, are glad that you have them. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> And then he goes on and says, I was, born with a, I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth because I was born in this country and I was taught by my parents that if I got an education and I stopped blaming other people and made good choices and had faith in God that great things could happen in my life. And he goes on and says, you know, God has given us a lot of power, power to love and think and create and imagine and plan, but the greatest power we have is the power to choose. You choose whether you are going to act or to procrastinate, believe or doubt, pray or curse, help or hurt, succeed or fail. Life is a matter of choices, and the attitude you choose is by far the most important choice you'll ever make in every day. And then he goes on and says, winners embrace hard work. They love the discipline of it. They tra- the trade-off they're making to win. Losers, on the other hand, see it as punishment, and that's the difference. So I thought those are actually really great quotes for us to think about as we launch in this series. So let me just teach for a second. So um, let's just tie this into biblical and uh, biblical principles that we find in the scripture, especially Apostle Paul and um, what Jesus talked about making sacrifices. Because once again, the key things we're talking about is having working hard, having some self-discipline in life, and um, the idea of actually making sacrifices in life. These are simple principles you find on the field and off the field. So um, when the Apostle Paul was actually writing his letters, um, what's interesting is that there were actually, we know, the Olympic Games, of course. We heard that. Matter of fact, there, I think there's like 200 and something days before we get to the Olympics in 2024. There, you know, this is a 2024 year, and we're going to have the Olympics. It's a really big deal. I love watching the Olympics, by the way. I get into it. And so what's very interesting is, um, I, didn't, I, didn't, I looked this up for my sermon preparation. Do you realize the Olympics actually started around, um, let's see, 8th century B.C., and they ran to 4th century B- A.D.? So 1,200 years they had the Olympic Games. And that, they weren't just the Olympic Games. They were called, actually, they were called the Panhellenic Games also. So, they were, it's just, uh, so now we only have the Olympic Games, but back then there were actually four different places that would have these games. And, um, and, and so what's interesting is um, back then when, you, when they would have these games, they, um, there was competition. Matter of fact, they, um, I thought this is also very interesting. The reason why the Olympics stopped in 393 um, AD is because of the Christianity. And the reason why is the emperor at the time was a Christian, and he did not like the connection with the Olympic and the, the Panhellenic Games that were connected to paganism. So he says, we're going to stop it. And so they didn't get picked back up until 1896. 
And so there was this long um, period where there was no gains whatsoever, no participation, because it went back to the Christian faith. And as Paul Harvey says, now you know the rest of the story, right? And so, but back then, you know, they would, they would compete. And matter of fact, here's another interesting thing about the Olympic Games and the, and the Pan Olympic is they were so important to the culture is that they would actually call a truce amongst the people in the, all of the surrounding parts of the world in order to be able to participate and have the best athletes to be able to come and participate. So they would stop fighting in order to have the games. I thought that was amazing. So when I, when I went back and found this, I thought it was really, a matter of fact, I, this last year, I went to um, Athens, and so I, here's a picture of me, and the, um, this is the Olympic um, uh, uh, Stadium um, there in Athens. It's beautiful. Um, this is actually, I believe, in the late um, 1800s in order to bring back the Olympics. This is in Athens. And then, um, can you put the next picture? So this is the, another view of what it, would look, it looks like today. And then here's one from 2,000 years ago. And what's interesting is that they, they use the exact same model from thousands of years ago to create the modern-day Olympic Stadium. I thought that was pretty neat. So, um, so when Paul was um, being a part of this culture in that particular part of the world, um, they, had, um, they weren't really big into like ball games, like using a ball. They actually, I think they figured out they could actually take um, animal skins and create a ball, and somehow they figured out how to inflate it, but they would put feathers in the ball. I thought that was interesting. But the most important games at these Olympic games and the Panhellenic games were actually uh, had to do with throwing the javelin, throwing the discus, um, the uh, pentathlon, boxing, wrestling, running the races uh, around the track. So this is what the context in which um, the Olympics revolved around. So Paul lived um, actually in Corinth for 18 months, and so he had been indoctrinated in this kind of, this culture. And so let me just show you a, a quickly a picture of, um, of what, where Paul was. So here is, can you put this up on the seat? So here's, here's a map. And so what's interesting, so here's Athens over here. But these are the four places in which they had an Olympia. This is where we had the Olympics. And then they had one here in this particular community called Neomia, and then um, Istimia, and then uh, Delphi over here. But they did not have the, the Olympics were not actually in Athens. This is where, this is where they are in modern day, but not back then. But what's very interesting, if you look up here, guess where Corinth sits? Right back in the dab in the middle of it all, right? So when I was thinking about this last week, I thought, you know what? Um, no wonder when you think about Paul and, um, I mean, Paul would have been, had to be a huge fan because he writes about this sporting events in his, um, in his letters to the Corinth. Matter of fact, I think we got a picture. Can you show a picture of Paul being the fan of, uh, there's a picture of Paul. He is, uh, he's rooting for the Delphi Di- Dolphins. I just want you to know that. I thought that was really good. So there's the Apostle Paul. Of course, I just made that up. Anyway, all right. So, and so here, let me, let me get, can I have my iPad back? So let me just teach for a second. So here's what I want you to understand about the culture of what's going on in 2,000 years ago. So you have the, you have the Olympic Games over here, the Pantheon Games, they call the Neomethian Games, and then the Ishmetian Games. Okay. So, and what's very interesting, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago about our culture, about that at 393 they put it into it it's because each one of these games were connected to a different god so this one was connected to zeus this one's connected to apollo this was connected to zeus and hercules and this one was connected to poseidon 
And so what's very interesting, also we know, even today, you know, the Olympics only happen every four years. So guess what? True to even the, uh, the ancient tradition, so the Olympics were every four years, some of them actually every other year. So every two years, some of them had. But what I thought was really fascinating is what you would get for the prize. And so what you would get for the prize, so if you won, won, the, if you won the event in the Olympics, guess what? You would get an olive wreath. And then if you won the Pantheon, you would get a lore wreath. And then if you got the Ishmael games, you would get a pine wreath. But this was the one who I thought was really interesting, is that you would get celery. Um, and so uh, can, can, can you give me, yeah, put, so I, I just, I brought celery for my visual aid today. Here it is. And I just want you to know, celery, celery doesn't smell real good. And um, I was actually two nights ago, Don and I were just laying in bed and I was laying my head on the pillow and we had a little pillow talk. And I said, you know, Honey, you just went to the grocery and he said, did you buy any celery? And she said, yeah, I did. I said, can I use that for a visual aid? She says, what? You know? So, you know, I, I just want you to know, putting this on and take it, they would actually literally take the leaves of the celery, the wild celery, and actually mish it, um, 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 kind of mold it together in order to make a wreath. And um, so I, I just thought that was really interesting because, you know, I would much rather have these babies. These are three of my um, uh, medals that I won for the Boston, or actually didn't win the Boston Marathon, but by participation part of this. This is a whole lot better than this. I just want you to know that. Okay, so let me just tease. So once again, this is once again, let's put it together in the context of the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth 2,000 years ago. And this is what Paul had to say. He says, do you not know that in the prize that all the runners win, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. So everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, and they do it to get a crown that will not last forever. <laughs> now you get it. But we, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself would not be disqualified for the prize. And now you know the rest of the story. So when Paul's talking about, you know, Think about here he is and, and just being indoctrinated in this culture of that particular area. And to go into the Olympic Games, the Panhellenic Games was a really big deal. So Paul's genius and his theology and trying to reach a culture that sports were such a big deal to them, he is able to share a way to be able to... Um, to make a point, but using the everyday occurrences that they would be excited about in order to be able to draw home a point. So he says, listen, so these Olympic um, competitors, they would, they would run to get this prize, and it's like celery or pine or a lower reef. But hey, listen, let's run for a race that you're going to get a true crown in heaven. And it has nothing to do with something that's not going to last. It's going to last maybe for a week or so, and then it's going to come and go, and it's just going to biodegrade, right? But you get a crown in heaven, it lasts forever. Can amen on that? Amen. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting is that um, um, uh, in 2000, I, I ran the Boston Marathon, um, and, and so... I, I was, at the end of the race, I had made 
a connection with some of my friends who let me stay at their house and said they were going to pick me up at the end of the race. So this is 2000, so this is 24 years ago. And um, so back then, we didn't have the same kind of technology with cell phones. I don't even know if I even had a cell phone back then. And so, um, and so I had, we had made arrangements that they were going to come, like, find me at the end of the, end of the race. But if you ever go to an end of a race, it's usually chaotic, and especially we're thousands of people, and it's downtown Boston. And so we didn't do a very good job of saying, okay, we're going to meet at this specific place. So I finished running the race, and I was so tired, and I was sick, and it was cold that particular year. And so I couldn't find them. And so I was miserable. My legs were beginning to cramp up. So, you know, I decided, I said, you know what? I can't find my friends right now. And I am really, really cold. And I am shivering. And I went into a very fancy hotel. And what's interesting about, um, because it was warm in there. And so what's very interesting is um, for about two or three hours after the Boston Marathon, you were treated like a king or a queen if you got a Boston Marathon medal around your neck. So when I went to the hotel, man, I, you know, they thought I was, you know, that was amazing. That was great. Sure, come. And I just kind of sat down, minding my business. And I was staying warm in there. And all of a sudden, I looked up the staircase, and I saw this guy walk down. And guess what? Here's a picture of the, can you see that picture of the Boston Marathon? This, this person was wearing this laurel wreath. And I thought, wow, that is really, really cool. And I realized that will be the closest I will ever get to a Boston Marathon laurel wreath, you know. And it was just amazing to be able to see that. And so what's interesting, when you look at life, we continue to, once again, we continue to run the race with perseverance. We continue to go through life. And life is not always easy. There are challenges. As a matter of fact, Paul talks about this idea of not only about competing for this prize that's imperishable, this wreath that's going to last forever and it's eternal, but he also talks about the sacrifices it takes in order to be able to win the prize. So he has this clear definition. He says, listen, you need to be laser-focused about who you are as a Christian and your faith, and it takes hard work as a Christian and your faith. It takes discipline to be a Christian. It takes sacrifice to be a Christian, right? So he's really laser-focused and uses this imagery for people to be able to buy into what he's talking about. And it's really, really powerful. But when you look and put it in perspective, that was really powerful when you, when you think about how Paul talks about, and he talks about wrestling and boxing. Those are the two images he uses and hones in on. And I thought, you know what? Very, what's very powerful about that is that Paul, once again, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about the body blows that he's gone through in his own life. This is what he says. She said, you know, I've worked much harder, been jailed more often, beaten up more times than I can count, and at death's door time and time again. I've been flogged five times with the Jews, 39 lashes, beaten by Roman rods three times, pummeled with rocks once. I've been shipwrecked three times, immersed in the open sea for a night and a day, and hard traveling year and year and year and out. I've had to avoid rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk at city, at risk in the country, endangered by desert sun and sea storm and betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. I've been drudgery and had hard labor, many a long and lonely night without sleep, many a missed meal, blasted by the cold, naked to weather, and that's not half of it. (laughs) Paul. No wonder when Paul was talking about this great text we find in Corinthians about the sacrifices it takes to be a Christian. So it takes, you know, the idea of hard work and self-discipline and sacrifice. 
And here's the interesting thing, and I've learned this in my own life about having discipline in life, is that, you know what, if you want to get to the finish line, you want one of those medals, or, or you want to be able to be successful in life, you just can't coast to be able to be successful in life. You know, sometimes in our younger generation these days, you know what, the, you know, I, some, I have our times sometimes understand the younger generation. Can I have amen on that? You know, I mean, I just, I look at my kids and thinking, what are you thinking, right? And we, many of you experienced that way with our kids or our grandkids or so forth. And so, and so sometimes, you know, there's a generation gap and we went through the same thing maybe with our parents, right? They looked at things because they probably thought we were crazy about how we dealt with some things. And so I thought it was very powerful when you think and put it in perspective about life and, and the idea of life, sometimes, you know what, you just can't coast in order to get to the finish line and be successful in life. It just doesn't work that way. And you know what I found really powerful this week is I actually found this, I, I pulled this up and I thought this would be another interesting visual aid. So here is a picture of the elevation map. Can you give me this? Yeah, okay. The elevation map of um, the Boston Marathon. Now, what's interesting about this is, you know, you start up here at out in Hopkinton, and guess what? You get to kind of cruise all the way down here to about mile 17. Now, what's interesting, all of a sudden, it drops right here, right? And they call this the beginning of the Newton Hills. This is where it all starts, right here. So they tell you a little bit about, and they make a big deal of what we call Heartbreak Hill right here, but they fail to tell you about all these other hills that actually lead to the big one. And man, I tell you what, these hills right here are really, really challenging. And here's the interesting thing I found about life. You don't coast uphill. And I think from a theological standpoint, no wonder when Jesus talks about making sacrifices, he makes it really clear about, you know, listen, you want to be one of my disciples, take up your cross and follow me. Because you know what, when he, when he made his way up to the hill of Golgotha, he didn't coast. And maybe that's part of the theological twist of this whole story today. Because once again, you think about the sacrifice that Jesus made. You think about the self-discipline it took. You think about all the hard work that Jesus put into for those three years in order to get him finally to the cross. You know, the time of sermon is called No Pain, No Gain. But you know what's interesting when you think about it? You know, you think about Jesus' pain. And we are the ones who end up gaining Jesus is pain, but our gain. Let me say that again. Jesus is pain, but our gain. Can you say it with me? Jesus is pain, but our gain. Now you get it, right? So you, you put it in perspective and you think about, you know, how, you know, Jesus in his life and the Apostle Paul in his life, there wasn't a whole lot of cruising going on in life. So here's the, here's the thought about kind of a life application part of our life. Once again, you don't get to the finish line by cruising. You're not going to be successful by just cruising. It takes self-discipline. It takes hard work. It takes sacrifice. These are the kind of characteristics it has to help us to be able to think about life. And so I, I know that in my life, there are places in my life that maybe I wanted to cruise, and it's really easy to kind of fall into that trap. I'm just going to cruise, right? Or I'm just going to coast, right? I'm just going to coast. And, and you can, and there's lots of places in your life that you can coast. So, like, you can coast in your marriage. Maybe there have been places in my, our lives that, you know, in our marriages that we just kind of, you know what, I'm just, I'm just kind of coasting. So the question would be, am I really putting forth all the effort I really need to put in to make my marriage the very best it can possibly be? 
It's kind of just kind of a reality check. Or maybe the idea about relationships or friendships. Am I, am I really, am I just kind of coasting in my friendships with some of my you know, best friends, my closest people, or am I really putting forth? And sometimes I have found in my life relationships, friendships, that really, I have like five or six really, really good friends in my life that I know when they're shouted out, if I needed them at any point in my life, I could pick up the phone and they would come. And I would do the same thing for them. I, I know for a fact. And some of them did, I'm telling you, when, um, you know, when I had my accident, um, I had some of them actually came, and I really will never forget that. Um, and so to me, that's a really, and so what, what, I'm, what I mean by that is that sometimes, even in friendships and relationships, they take hard work, they take self-discipline, they, they take some sacrifices to be a great friend for another person, right? And that even plays out even in like in our everyday life when it comes to our lifestyle, right? So let me ask you, so have we just been cruising with our lifestyle? Now, the other, what I mean by that, I, here's what I know. So the commercials, you ready? The commercials, you, have you noticed over the last two weeks, you, there have been a lot of commercials on TV that have to do with dieting or a diet medication or getting into a gym and they're cutting you a deal, Right? Then next month, after you get through the January, you're going to get a whole lot of tax commercials, right? Two attacks, all these, uh, you know, um, all these other. And then after that, guess what? It's an election year, and we're going to get a whole lot of political commercials. That, that's what's happening. I just want you to know. And so what's interesting, when I think about that, is that, you know, the idea of lifestyle. We want people to say, hey, listen, we're, you got to get in shape. We've got to diet. We find this over, and this is a very a trend that we see over and over again about the idea of being disciplined. So it even plays out in our everyday life of being like trying to be fit, physically fit, taking care of ourselves. And that's an important part of the question. So, the, so the, here's another twist. And so I'm asking you to think about what about your spiritual journey today, right? This is what Paul's really talking about. And how are we done? So I'm asking you, is there a, are there places in 2023 that maybe you just kind of put it on cruise control or you were just coasting when it came to maybe reading your Bible or maybe your prayer life or the idea of maybe being a part of a small group or not being a part of a small group or coming to worship, but I don't want, I'm just going to sleep in or, you know. So are there places in life that maybe I could do a little bit better? And as we launch into a brand new year, maybe this is what I'm challenged all of us, including myself, that there are places in my life that maybe I've coasted some in 2023 that maybe I can do a better job in 2024. And several places in my marriage, in my friendships, my, in my discipline in trying to stay healthy and not drinking as much Mountain Dew, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, you get it, right? So uh, I, I share this little story. Um, when I first came here uh, 13 years ago, I met a guy named Charlie Frutel. And Charlie, he and I hit it off. Charlie, some of you all know, he used to volunteer at the men's breakfast. And Charlie was a triathlete. triathlete. And so he um, picked this up um, a little bit later in life. He was a PE coach. And so he decided to run, I don't know, maybe in the 50s or so. And he just, he just kept on running. It was kind of like Forrest Gump. He just kept on running, right? And so then he got in become triathlete, a triathlete. And so I, I went back and looked on the web this week about Charlie. Charlie, um, I, I thought this is a great quote from him. Someone went to Charlie one day several years ago and said, Charlie, why are you still running, triath- being a triathlete at the age of 90? 
And he says, because I want to live to be 100. And so he li- didn't live to be 100. He lived to be like 93. And so here's a picture of Charlie at 90. And the article said, oldest, uh, oldest person ever to compete in a triathlete. Not Charlie Fruita. He came to our church. And so I had this deeper appreciation um, for him and his fortitude, his hard work, his discipline, the sacrifices that guy made to be able to continue to compete at the age of 90, which is amazing, to be the oldest triathlete in America. Wow. Here's his other claim to fame. Ready? This is who he taught in eighth grade. Can you put the next picture up? Sylvester Stallone. No wonder Rocky was so tough. It all goes back to Charlie Frutel. I just want you to know that. Isn't that cool? So when I think about our lives, and I think about our discipline, and we think about our relationships, and we think about our relationships with each other, and we think about our relationship with Jesus Christ, and we think about, you know what? What, what Christ does not cause us, when it comes to sacrifice, Jesus did not coast up to Golgotha. It took a lot of hard work, it took a lot of discipline, and it took a lot of sacrifice and effort for him to actually get there. Now, what's very interesting I have found in life is that I have, when I've done, I mean, I've done a lot of memorial services over my, my lifetime. And, um, and so what I have found is that there are times that I would meet with the family, and I shared this with before, and I don't mean dis- any disrespect whatsoever to anybody that's ever come, and I've done a memorial service. So I always try to do my very best. And, you know, probably half the memorial services I've done for people, I don't even know who they are. Because someone would call and say, hey, listen, they're, they, um, they, they're looking for a Methodist preacher. And so they looked in the phone book or whatever. Do you remember? Actually, there was a phone book back then. You know, okay. So they looked in the yellow pages, of the, you know, and so, so they end up with me. And so I, I would sit down with the family and I would say, hey, listen, tell me a little bit about Joe. Or tell me a little bit about Jane. And, you know, so often they would say, well, Joe was, um, Joe was a good guy. Silence. Okay, can you give me a little bit more? You know, and, and so we would talk a bit about Joe, and maybe a little bit about his hobbies and what he did for his life and a little bit of his background, and I would write it all down and try to, con- to be able to consolidate some of one's life that maybe they lived for 80 or 90 years and put it all together for about 20 minutes, and that's a challenge. But then I would always ask a question. I was asking, so let me, tell me a little bit about Joe's faith. And then they go, well, Joe was a good guy. <laughs> well, can you tell me a little bit more? Well, Joe was a little private about that. And so, once again, what do you do with that, right? And, of course, so, you know, I, I think maybe when I think about our relationship is what Paul's talking to us and what Jesus is teaching us about sacrifice. And Paul's talking about winning this crown that's not made out of celery, but actually made out of something that's more substantial, this crown of glory that's going to last forever and ever and ever. Maybe what Jesus is calling us as Christians is to a deeper relationship with him. And a deeper relationship with him has to do with making a commitment. And our commitment has to do with discipline and working hard at whatever we, Christ has called us to do and making some sacrifices along the way. And that we aren't just kind of coasting along in life. Because, you know, someday when I'm dead in God, someone's going to sit down and they're going to say, hey, tell me a little bit about Harold. What did he do in his life? And my kids are going to be sit around with the pastor, whoever that might be, and and tell them a little bit about their old man. But I hope that they can say, you know what? My father had a really, pro- lo- he really loved the Lord. I know for a fact he did. You get it. I thought this is very powerful. In the book of Revelation, there's this great text. 
And, um, and you all are probably familiar with it. It's kind of one of those iconic texts. And I've always, as a kid, I was always intrigued by this. And I found out this week that, um, that I did not understand, the, the, once again, the context of it. And this is text, and this is what it says in Revelation 3, chapter 16, verse 8. Because you're lukewarm, because you're neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And that's pretty drastic, isn't it? And, and so... I loved, I've always been intrigued and loved that particular text. I didn't realize the reason why, once again, you've got to look at the context. So evidently in Laodicea, there was a hot springs over here, and then there were some cold springs over here, and they would flow into the town. And by the time it got to the town, the water was lukewarm. And so what Jesus is saying here to all of us, hey, listen, I, I, don't, I don't need someone who's just lukewarm. Um, lukewarm is just not going to cut it. I'm looking for someone who really has this, this, wants to have this deeper, more profound relationship with, with me that will love me with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind and all their strength and love their neighbor as themselves. Jesus gives us that command. And he reminds us of that. I love that. Once again, it has to do with that deeper, more profound relationship with him. So um, I, I, I close with this little thought today. <clears throat> I, I went by which I did my detective work, and I thought, this is actually kind of cool. So one of the largest stadiums in America is actually what they call, at Texas A.M. Stadium, it's called Kyle Film. Matter of fact, we got a picture of the um, auditor. Here's the stadium Man, that's, that's really big. It's 102,512, 102, but who's counting, right? And so that's how many people can fit in that. And so what's interesting about the Texas A&M fans is they call themselves, can you show that next slide? They call it the 12th Man Club. So the 12th Man Club is the people who are all those 102,000 people who are screaming and yelling for their Texas A&M Aggie, and they're all yelling, and they're in the crowd, and they're all pulling for them, and they call them the 12th Man. In other words, there are 11 people on the field, but the 12th Man is like they feel as if they're participating to be a part of the game, and this is really important. They aren't in the game, but they feel as if they're a part of the game, Right. And isn't that a great, another great analogy that Christ continues to call us and wants us to feel as if that we're part of the game? And the question is, do we really want to be in the game? I mean, that's, that's just really so. I mean, is it one of those places you... I remember um, there were many times that I was on the bench and I could not wait for the coach to say, hey, Harold, I'm putting you in. I'm in. And maybe that's what Christ is calling us all to do, this deeper, more profound relationship with him and not just being a good Christian and not just maybe being a little, well, maybe not as bad as the other person. I'm a good guy. I'm a good person. But the idea that Christ is reaching us and reaching out to us and saying, hey, listen, I'm going to put you in. Are you willing to be in? I think it's really important for us to think about that today. You know, I, um, I don't do this very often, but I'm going to do it today. And because um, I, I'm really careful about like honing on certain individual people in the church because I know there are hundreds and thousands of hundreds of people who volunteer and they do an incredible job here at New Covenant. But I, I, I want to share something about these three characteristics about this, this, this couple. 
self-discipline, hard work, sacrifice. And there's nobody in this church who's done those three things more than my friend Don and Marlene Huggins. I'll tell you that straight up. So Don and Marlene have... Um, I know that Gary Bullock, the founding pastor, went to, Gary, uh, went to them one day and said, hey, listen, you know what? We're, they need a little help at the Wildwood Food Pantry. Do you think that you might be willing to do that? And, and they said, yeah, we could do that. Matter of fact, I thought it was really interesting. I had talked to Don about this maybe a couple of years ago when he, we had this conversation. He said, you know, there were people who had kind of done it before us and said, you know what? You'll last about six months. And they've been doing it for almost, I don't know, 18 years or something. It's amazing, isn't it? That's a great run, isn't it? But once again, I gave you this example. Not everybody is Donna Marlene Huggins. Okay, and I, I get that. I understand that. But what I share with you about that today is that someone went to them and said, hey, listen, would you be willing to get in the game? And they go, yeah, put me in. I'm willing to be in. So the idea of sacrifice self-discipline, hard work. And I know that couple have done that every single day for like the last 18 years. Wow. So last week, I, I believe that Pastor um, Ellen um, gave you all, we talked about Wesley's covenant prayer. And so can you put that up on the screen, Wesley's covenant prayer real quick? So here's what I want us to think about. So if you weren't here last week, I know that we have these little, this is um, Mr. Wesley. This is like the New Year pledge. It's like a covenant prayer that we have in our Wesley tradition. And they're out there in the narthex. And I hope that you'll pick one up on the way out if you didn't pick one up last week. And they're actually in a basket. And so you know what I thought would be really interesting is that um, I, I went back this week, and I like to try to make, sometimes I make things really personal for me, you know, to make it just really, to me, more of an intimate prayer. So this last week, I kind of had fun with this, and I, I found myself at every place where um, Mr. Wesley put the word me in, I put my name. So, for example, I am no longer your, my own, but yours. Put Harold to what you will. Place Harold with whom you will. Put Harold to doing and put Harold to suffering. Let me... Let Harold be put to work for you or set aside for you, praise for you or criticize for you. Let Harold be full and let Harold be empty. Let Harold have all things, let Harold have nothing. I freely and fully send all things to your glory and service. And now, wonderful, holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine. I'm yours, let so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen. So I hope that you'll pick one of these cards up. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it in your bathroom. Put it, put it maybe in your car as a reminder of your commitment, your devotion, and your relationship with Jesus Christ because Christ is always caused to a deeper love for him. Amen.